Oh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you're saying to us, your church, through your word. May your spirit work powerfully in our hearts that we might be a blessing to our uh, friends and neighbours and that we might be transformed into ever-increasing Christ-likeness as we seek to be your disciples and make disciples of others. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how it is that you view the uh, trajectory of human history. Uh, probably there's a fair chance, given you're a, a product of the West, that you, like me, tend to think uh, in historical... Uh, when you think about history, you think it, of it in terms of progress. So uh, you think that... Um, uh, however uh, things are going, that generally speaking, things are going to get better. Uh, this has been a, a, a really a, a way of thinking for a long time, but uh, it comes to prominence with the Enlightenment in the uh, 17th century and through into the 19th century, uh, where people are, uh, have different ideas about how things might get better, uh, with a revolution a la a, a Marxist, or with the continual operations of the free market a la a capitalist, uh, or a whole bunch of other ideas. But generally speaking, no matter who you are, uh, there's a fair chance you uh, are heavily influenced by this idea of history as being one of human advancement and progress. Basically, that as history progresses, due to science and technology and uh, the way we organise society, things will get better for us as human beings. And I guess uh, you think the views well expressed in the, the 1993 song by Dream, things can only get better, which, if you don't know it, I'm not going to sing it for you because uh, this is going on the internet. Um, but you can uh, uh, check it out later. I'm sure you do know the song. It was made famous by the uh, Labor Party in England with the election of Tony Blair. It was his campaign song to kick out the Tories after uh, 15 or 20 years of government there. Things can only get better. Now I've found you, Tony Blair. Now, in our reading today... Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream about how history is going to progress. And I think as we uh, think about this dream that Daniel uh, interprets for us today, uh, we want to say both yes and no to this idea of, of progress as uh, we understand it. Uh, and we'll come to that as we get to the dream in a moment. Last week, uh, we started looking at this book, Daniel, and we saw how Daniel and his friends are carried off into exile, and uh, we saw how the, uh, God was actually in control, even through uh, the worst of the worst, and Daniel and his friends continue to have faith, even though things are difficult for them. And even when there's uh, the offer of, of a good life, perhaps without God, in the, the offer of uh, non-kosher food and drink, they continue to trust God. Daniel and his friends, though seeming heroic in their bravery, actually are being quite sensible in their constant trust in the God who is the sovereign ruler and king of the universe, even when they're in this big fancy place called 
Babylon with all the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. And today we see that uh, Daniel and his friends, having excelled at uh, what, what I'm calling university, their three-year uh, course that they've done, uh, having uh, topped the class and gotten themselves great jobs in this exiled kingdom, now find themselves under threat again. King Nebuchadnezzar has some bad dreams and he wants to know what they're about. And I guess we get a little bit of a window into life in Babylon here for, uh, you know, we've seen a, about how you can be offered all this lovely um, food and drink and there's lots of excess and power and wealth and uh, all these sorts of things. Uh, and yet, though you might enjoy some of the fruits of, of Babylon, you are actually living in, 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 in a crazy dictatorship. And so King Nebuchadnezzar uh, says to all these people who are probably enjoying the fruits of, of victory, these wise men and astrologers, uh, he says to them, this is what I firmly decided, verse 5, if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Whoa! This is not what I signed up for when I decided to become an astrologer. Uh, I was just looking for the, the you know, the, 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 the kickbacks, um, not the cut-ups. Uh, and uh, this is the kind of threat that uh, this kind of psychotic dictator king has levelled at them. Now, I guess the question that you might have is, why would he say that? And it's the question that they have too. They say in verse 7... Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. And again in verses 10 and 11, they say to the king who's just refusing to tell them the dream, let alone uh, listen to their interpretation, they say, King, there is no one on earth who can do what you ask. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. King, this is a ridiculous request. It can't be done. No one's ever done anything like this, that before. It's not fair. You can't. Please don't kill me. <laughs> Only the gods can do this, and, and they're not here. And what help are they? And of course, what the, what, the, what the story is doing at this point is starting to teach us a little bit of the the alternate theology of the people of Babylon who have these magicians and astrologers and enchanters who essentially go around making stuff up with no help from pathetic and useless gods. And so the king, sick of this, one assumes because he's such a crazy dictator, part of the reason he's decided, this is, my, this is my theory, part of the reason he's decided not to tell them the dream is because, because he's kind of a scary dude and likely to decide to cut you up into a thousand pieces at any moment. Uh, the, the magicians and enchanters tend to tell him, you know, what he wants, what they think he wants to hear. And so he's decided, I'm sick of this. I actually want to know the truth for once. Uh, that's why I'm not going to tell them the dream. I'm going to make them consult and tell me. 
So uh, the king, he's kind of, I think, at his wits end with these people. And so he, verse 12, we read, the king is very angry and furious at these uh, magicians' pathetic nature and their hopeless gods who they can't seem to consult with. And so he orders the execution of all the wise men in Babylon, which is bad for them, but it's especially bad for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because you'll remember that's what they've become as they've finished their graduation. They've entered into the service of the king as these wise men of Babylon. And so we begin to see this familiar pattern that will come up again and again and again in Daniel uh, where God's people uh, living in exile find themselves with an existential or a threat, a threat to their existence Uh, and they need to trust God to get through. So, Daniel, enter Daniel, about verse 14, uh, who uh, meets the king's guard, Arioch, and uh, gets told that this is what is going to happen. The king's going to uh, kill all the wise men of Babylon, including Daniel and his friends, Uh, and uh, Daniel starts to be wise. He's a very wise fellow. We saw it back in chapter one where he negotiated his way into eating kosher food only with the 10-day vegetable trial. Now he says, hang on a second, Arioch. Let me see if I can get my God to help. And so he goes to his friends in verse 17 and he asks them to pray for him because he's going to go to the king and Uh, offer to interpret the dream. Notice he has to step out in faith, doesn't he? Because he doesn't know if he's going to know the dream at this point. But he goes and uh, he urges his uh, friends in verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And as they go and pray and as Daniel's praying that night, God comes to the party. He's not like the gods of Babylon who aren't there. He reveals the mystery to Daniel in a vision. And so Daniel praises God. And again, we see the difference between the pathetic gods of Babylon and the powerful sovereign God of the world. Daniel in his prayer, verses 20 through 23, praising God for all wisdom and power as his. He's in charge of the seasons. He's in charge of the kings. Uh, He can reveal deep and hidden things. Uh, He is the God who has revealed this stuff to Daniel. He is the God who is in charge of the world. This is not a God who is not here, who is distant, who is absent in a time of need. This is the God of Israel, the God who is constantly on the lookout for his people and is directing the goings-on of this world. And so, Daniel manages to convince uh, the executioners to put, uh, press pause while he goes to interpret the dream in verses 24 through 30. So, uh, as we re- go in to the, the, as we get see the scene with Daniel uh, going to the king, we read, don't we, about how uh, the king asks of Daniel, "Can you do it? Are you the wise man who can do it?" And Daniel says, basically, "No, but God can. God can do this." And again, it's the contrast of the wise men of Babylon who say, 
God could do this, but they're not here. They, they, they can't help. Daniel says, God can do this, and he has done it. Daniel replies, verse 27 through 28, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. And he goes on to recount this dream. And I thought, rather than me recounting it to you, I thought we'd do a little inception and uh, enter into the mind of Nebuchadnezzar, who helpfully recorded the dream for us on video. So, um, get comfy and uh, let's take a look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his mind, down to the music and sound effects and all. No wonder he was disturbed. <laughs> um, and uh, what did we see? We saw uh, uh, what's described through verses 31 to 35. Big statue, golden head, silver chest and arms, bronze belly and thighs, legs of iron, feet of iron and partly, partly baked clay and then this rock not cut by human hands smashing the feet of the statue, the whole thing breaking into pieces, being blown away and the rock growing up to become a big mountain that fills the earth. Pretty accurately describes uh, what that lovely YouTuber uh, made for us to watch today. So, what does all that mean? No wonder Nebuchadnezzar has no idea what that means because what does that mean? Well, thankfully, God told Daniel and, Dan and it's been written down for us and we can understand the dream. Verses 36 to 45, we get the interpretation of the dream and Daniel says, basically, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the golden head, you're currently the, the greatest king in the world, ruling the world, but one day your rule will end and then other kingdoms will come and go until eventually there is this one kingdom that... Uh, will last for all eternity, symbolised by that rock that smashes all the other ones up and then is established in the world forever and that that kingdom is the one that will be established by God. What's the point of the dream? We see that in verses 44 and 45, don't we? And it's again about God's power. Let me read to you those two verses again. 
In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be, le- be, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. It is God, not Nebuchadnezzar, who is in control. Nebuchadnezzar might think he's some sort of ruthless and powerful king in control of the world, worthy of worship as we'll see, But actually, he needs to realise his place. He only rules because God has placed him there. God is the one who is in control of this world, though he may allow Nebuchadnezzar to rule and reign on it at the moment. But Nebuchadnezzar is not God. He is simply a man. And like all men, uh, he needs to listen to God and trust God and thank God for the things that God gives him. For at the end of time, because he, he, his reign will be over. Now, before we see how Nebuchadnezzar responds to this uh, dream, let's just take a little sidestep and uh, reflect on the vision as it pertains to history, because I think that's interesting. Uh, I think on one level you can say that the dream is uh, representative of something that just happens in this world, that kingdoms come and go and that uh, in the end God's kingdom will rule and reign in the new heavens and the new earth forever. We know that to be the the, the truth of uh, the reality in which we live. But as it so happens, uh, you can nicely actually correlate Daniel's dream to uh, the the comings and goings of the kingdom up to the coming of of Christ. And and I think there's something to this. So from history we know that Babylon, the golden head, King Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom, uh, this falls to the Persians and they're not quite as grandiose as as the Babylonians were, were, but nonetheless they're still a relatively impressive kingdom, so gold to silver... Yeah, kind of, I'm kind of persuaded by that. They rule the world after defeating the Babylonians. Then come the Greeks, the bronze uh, kingdom, uh, full of uh, wisdom, and they rule the world for a while. Uh, and then comes the great smashing strong kingdom of Rome, the Iron Kingdom uh, that, that uh, just gets rid of the Greeks. And of course, Rome is a strong kingdom, but uh, it's so massive and uh, ends up falling apart because of, of its divisions, you know, emperors taking out emperors and those sorts of things. And of course, in the middle of all that, in the middle of the Roman Empire, the, when they're ruling the world, comes the carpenter son, born in a manger, born to establish the kingdom of God that will expand and expand and expand and one day rule the world when the Lord returns. Now, I'm, I think that's more than coincidence, um, uh, though I'm, I'm just certainly convinced by the idea that uh, it, there's a typology to this dream as well, in, in the sense that it tells us a, a, a theological truth about the nature of kingdoms and God's human kingdoms and God's kingdoms. I think it is also telling us something specific to Nebuchadnezzar about uh, the progression of time to the coming of Christ. 
So, how does Nebuchadnezzar respond to being revered, having this, having history revealed to him in this dream, having theological truth about God revealed to him in this dream? Uh, he sort of uh, gets halfway to, I think, the response he ought to have had. So. Uh, Astonishingly, I would say, in verse 46, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel and pays him honour and orders that offering and incense be presented to him. Now, that's a big deal. This is the, this is the cutting up into pieces people who don't believe, in, who don't do what I want, King, and now he's humbling himself before Daniel. And I think... Uh, we're seeing that Nebuchadnezzar kind of gets it half right. Here's this guy who God has sent into his life to, to tell and interpret a dream, uh, and he's astounded by it. He, he falls prostrate before him, and he says to Daniel, verse 47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. He, he gets the, the theological truth that this whole chapter has been uh, uh, showing us about how God is indeed the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the one who is in charge and directing things. And he humbles himself before Daniel, but it kind of stops there and we'll see next week, it's the, the, that whole humbling himself before God's people is totally over. So, see, instead of trusting God who has revealed all this to him, whom he knows is the God of God and the Lord of kings by his own uh, profession, he simply was like, great, I you're connected to that guy, Daniel, and your mates, I can use you for my purposes. Verses 48 and 49. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the, at the royal court. See, he, he doesn't actually really change all this. He's like, great, you're connected to that guy, the Lord of Kings and the God of Gods. Awesome. You run stuff and I'll get on with enjoying my life and being merry and cutting up people into pieces when I want. He sort of totally misses the point. And so history will progress and Nebuchadnezzar will meet his end. And as we reflect on the dream, and as we reflect, as I talked at the start, on uh, how, how the progression of history that is revealed in that dream, we see, don't we, that the way we view history is kind of right. History is one of progress to a great end. The rule and reign of God forever in the world. But human kingdoms are not guaranteed to progress to success after success. In fact, the uh, end point for them is obliteration. Those who set themselves up as rulers of this world without uh, God will be crushed into a thousand pieces and blown away like chaff in the wind. We know, don't we, that this, that, 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 the rock has come, the cornerstone, Christ. 
and he has established his kingdom. And we know that we can experience that through faith and through membership of the visible expression of the kingdom of God in the world today, the church. And we know that we await its final revelation when Christ returns. And so for us, as we live this side of the coming of Christ, waiting his return, as we know uh, where history will ultimately end, we look to Daniel in this moment and Nebuchadnezzar as examples to us of what we need to do. Not be like Nebuchadnezzar and do our own thing and hope that God's people will sort it out for us, but rather trust God. Trust God day in, day out, no matter the cost, because God is in control and something better awaits you, even if it's difficult in the here and now. And as I was thinking about what's a good example of that today, my mind couldn't help but turn to Pastor Wang Yi. I don't know if you've heard of Pastor Wang Yi. He's a, uh, or he was a pastor in China. And uh, just late last year, he was sentenced to nine years in jail after a secret trial accused him of all sorts of things that weren't true. Uh, and he was arrested two years prior to that. He, he's going to spend 10 years in a Chinese prison, a place I wouldn't want to be, because he's been preaching the gospel and trusting God day in and day out. And it's cost him a lot. And he wrote a letter just before he got arrested, knowing that it might come. And here's what he said. He said a lot more than this, but this is just a, a part of uh, the, the quote that I think is helpful for us. He said, The Chinese communist regime is full of fear for a church that no longer fears it. If I am detained for a long or short period of time to help those in power reduce their fear of my faith and my saviour, I am happy to help them in this way. But I know that I can truly help the souls of those in power and law enforcement only when I say no to all the persecution of the church's sins and fight in a peaceful way. I long for God to use me to tell those who let me lose my personal freedom in a way that loses my personal freedom that there is a higher authority than their authority and there is a freedom that cannot be held by them, full of Jesus Christ, the church that died and was resurrected. Those who hold me will be detained by angels. The person who interrogates me will eventually be interrogated by Christ. With this in mind... The Lord has made me sympathetic and sad to those who are trying to hold me. Ask the Lord to use me and to give me patience and wisdom to bring the gospel to them. Wow. Like, far out. Wow. If I could have half that attitude when I faced half those difficulties, I'd be pretty happy. This is... This is God-inspired faith. Trust in the progression of history, isn't it? He knows where things are going to end up. He knows what he's going to enjoy. And so 10 short years of trouble for an eternity 
with potentially more people who might be one to the faith through his suffering for the gospel is worth it. And he's 100% right. And it's extremely challenging and convicting to see people who've totally understood how history is progressing, who's really in charge, where freedom is really found. It's a great reminder to us. He's a great modern day example of the kind of faith that Daniel had to exercise time and time and time again. It's not easy to wander into the annals of a king who might cut you up at any moment. It's not easy to continue to trust God when your life is on the line. But Daniel did it, Pastor Wang Yi has done it, and you or I can do it too, because it's not something we do out of our own strength, but something that we do in God's strength. As his spirit births in us faith and trust to live up to the circumstances that he places in front of us. God is in control. You simply need to trust. Trust his revelation of the future. Trust that he's going to be okay, that he's got it in his hands and that you are one day going to be living in that mighty mountain that fills the world, the kingdom that will reign forever. And as you trust, have the courage to live out your faith and convictions in the here and now, no matter the cost, for they will only be for a short time.